This has been an unbelievable week, hasn't it? As we look back on the events uh, that have unfolded in Boston, it has certainly captured our attention and in many ways uh, broken our hearts as you, you look at some of the things that have taken place. There is certainly a, an element of rejoicing in that the perpetrators of that terrible act, uh, one is now in eternity and the other is in custody and we're, we're glad for that. Um, justice needs to be served in such a situation. The people who have suffered terrible injuries continue to carry those injuries, many of whom will never be free from the injuries that they sustained with the loss of limbs and things of that nature. And I think it, as these things occurred, it, it just is a constant reminder to us that there needs to be vigilance in not only uh, observing the possibility of danger that surrounds us, but vigilance in maintaining the freedoms that we have and vigilance in being a people who genuinely care for one another. Uh, I've heard and seen some wonderful expressions of unity, uh, expressions of mutual concern, care. People have been responding to the needs of individuals who have suffered physically. And those are wonderful things to keep in mind. And as you look at the, these different events, we realize that there are dangers that are around us, but there are opportunities that are around us, and there are privileges that surround us. And you look at each of those areas, and as Americans, we have to take each of these issues very seriously. We are uh, facing a different world than the world was not too many years ago. It's, it's a very different world. Um, it's going to be a challenging world. There are going to be things that arise as a result of our being just in this nation that are going to require some changes in lifestyle and, and some awareness that, that is going to emerge by virtue of the, the dangers that surround us and things of that nature. And I look at that and I say, um, we, we need to be on our toes. We, we need to be aware we are in a violent world. We are in a world that is uh, beset by sin. We're in a world in which there are jealousies that will cause people to do horrible things. We're in a world in which there is so much false belief that violence becomes the order of the day in order to further the desires of some of those beliefs. Well, you and I have known, as long as we have been followers of Christ, that we are in a warfare. Uh, we're not in heaven yet. And it is a war. It's a spiritual war that is taking place every moment of every day. And you are in the crosshairs. You are a target, as am I. And so when we turn to the Word of God, we find out that we are given some very specific warnings, we're given some very specific encouragements, and as we find here in 1 Corinthians 16, we are given some very, very specific admonitions. And they are given for a purpose. The purpose is that we might live lives that are spiritually successful. We, we love the fact that our government was able through law enforcement and through special units within our own government that in such a quick way 
they were able to find and, and identify initially and then locate the people that were responsible for those blasts. And, and I can't help but believe that God's hand was moving in that as well because of the mistakes that those perpetrators made that really opened the door for their discovery and ultimately for their death and apprehension. And so we know that this battle is going on and we we know that there are ways to be victorious. And just as that is true in the political realm, in the national realm, it's true in the spiritual realm as well. If you would open your Bibles again to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, there are two verses in particular that jump out because they have five specific admonitions that the Lord gives us if we are going to be spiritually successful. And he tells us in verse 13 this, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, let all that you do be done with love. We look at these admonitions and we say, there is a very important and specific purpose for which they're given. When, when someone comes to the end of a letter, that is, such as the letter we have to the Corinthians from the hand of the Apostle Paul. It was the Spirit of God who was directing him, but there was still the dimensions of personality that come through the pages of this letter. And one thing that is very typical of a person that has deep concern for others is that in the final moments of the closing portion of a letter their heart begins to open up and they pour out the things that to them are of the greatest concern. And that's what Paul is doing here. He has been writing to people who have not been real sharp spiritually. He is writing to people, however, whom he loves dearly in the Lord and desires to see the very best in their lives take place. And so he gives them these five admonitions. The first is watch. Or maybe we could put it this way, as another translation does. Be on your guard. We we certainly have been brought to, to grips with that over the past week. But prior to that, we were hearing so much about the unfolding of events in Korea. And we, we were hearing these threats from the Korean dictator and, and this young man, 29 years of age, who is rattling his saber, that's the terminology that they use, by giving these, these threats and, and probably not with the intent of really going to war. But you never know. Crazy things happen. But he's, he's making all of these different threats and as a result of that, the level of, of uh, awareness is raised by the military, particularly the South Koreans. And I was watching on the news how the South Korean army would constantly be guarding the border that separates them from the North Koreans. And they would be walking along and they would be checking even the little metal pieces that are on the the wiring that is around their national border. And and they're very, very careful. They're standing in... um, in awareness and in, in a, a, a willingness to, to recognize we have got to be very alert because at any moment the enemy could attack. And that's in essence what Paul is saying here. He is saying, like a good soldier, be aware of the possibility of the spiritual attacks that can come your way. 
Watch. Be on your guard. Which implies this. That it is very possible for those of us who are followers of Christ to let our guard down. And some of us, if not all of us, have probably had an experience in life where we have not been vigilant in caring for our spiritual lives. As a result, our guard has gone down and then the attack of the enemy comes and we wonder why we are defeated. We wonder why we we lose in a battle. Now the war has been won in Christ. That we know. But there are battles that go on day after day in the lives of believers. And unless we are aware, unless we're watching, unless we are on alert, we can be conquered in a, in a specific battle. Paul is telling these people at Corinth, I want you to be alert because I have gone through an entire epistle that tells you specifically areas in which you need to be alert because your tendency is going to be to let your guard down. He gives us four specific areas in this letter. And then if we look for that same terminology elsewhere in the New Testament, we find five more individual requests for awareness. Warnings more, more specifically for people to be aware, to be alert, to watch for. And those are things I would like us to look at today. Be aware. Be alert. First, be alert of the possibility of spiritual coldness. In a letter such as that which was written to the Corinthians, it is very possible to do what many people today do in their own personal study of the Word of God. I think that it's very easy for us to perhaps revel in the fact that we have a very specifically and well-organized time of what we call devotions. And I would suspect that many of you have set apart part of your day to spend time with the Lord, to open up the Word of God, to pray, and to begin your day in that regard. Others of you may have a different pattern. Some people, when they wake up, they're so tired. Um, I am not particularly a morning person. It's hard for me to kind of get rolling. And some of you may be the same way. I'm not a night person either. (laughs) Come to think of it, I don't do well during the day. (laughs) But that being said... Some of you may decide, you know what, we're, we're going to experience a time with the Lord at the end of the day. I'm going to conclude the day. Or perhaps you have an opportunity in the middle of the day to do that. And so you establish your time that you're going to set aside to meet with the Lord, to hear from Him, and to express your concerns to Him. What I'm afraid often happens, and, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong, we will very methodically read the scriptures, finish the amount of reading that we care to do. Perhaps you're reading through the Bible in a year. Maybe you decide, I'm going to read a chapter a day. Or maybe you you have a different plan. And then when you're done, you pray. Many of the requests that are expressed are are essentially ones that you've prayed many, many times over. Uh, it, It has become a pattern Uh, You you have asked for blessings upon certain people without really being specific. And then we feel like, okay, um, we've done our duty. 
We've taken care of things. And in the process, what we don't understand is that the Spirit is becoming very cold. We are not ignited by the Word of God. As a matter of fact, by the time we're done reading, we often can't remember anything we've read. We look back and we say, oh, did I read that? Or if you didn't happen to mark the passage that you read and you go back the next day and you have to say, well, now, where did I stop? Uh, Is any of this familiar? And you start reading and you're about 20 verses into a chapter and you say, oh, I read this yesterday. And you realize that spiritually speaking, nothing has really happened. There hasn't been instruction. We haven't grown in grace or in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it becomes somewhat discouraging. And I would encourage you in this regard. The problem is not that you have time to use in correspondence with the Lord. But sometimes it's the focus. And the focus is diminished by virtue of our loss of sight of the fact that we are in a war. And we have got to be prepared. The Corinthians are living in a very dangerous position. They can become spiritually cold. He has written an entire book to them. He is going to write to them again. As a matter of fact, the Bible indicates that there were four letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, only two of which were directed by the Holy Spirit to be inspired. The other two were part of his heart that was just on the the human level. And he wrote to them and he shared with them things that we don't know because those, those letters have not been preserved. But these that were under the direction of the Holy Spirit where he was carried along so that he what he wrote was the inspired word of God, we have those. These Corinthians could just ignore it. Or they could become indifferent toward it. And so Paul says to them, watch. Be on your guard. Because your tendency is going to be coldness. He gives them another warning. As he tells them this, It is very possible, if you don't watch, that you are going to develop a resistance toward God's servants. You're going to find yourself standing against those whom the Lord has directed to you. How do we know that? (laughs) This is so easy to read past and to forget. But do you remember what Paul had written to the Corinthians back in the fourth chapter? Apparently, they had not treated him very well. When he had come to them and had spent time in Corinth, there were many that he had led to the Savior. There were many who had undoubtedly given him opportunity to either stay with them or they perhaps helped provide for his his support. But in the long run, he has to write to them in such a way as to kind of give them a warning. He says, now you, you have blamed me of being really gentle when I'm with you, but when I write to you, I ha- you, you say I write very uh, harshly and and I'm I'm attacking you in the things that I that I write. <laughs> and and so 
what, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to come harshly when I'm with you? Do you remember when he wrote that? You can go back and read that in the fourth chapter. He says, listen, he said, if we can read between the lines, you guys haven't been all that great to me. You need to understand. You need to understand that God sent me to you for your benefit. But if he left us there in the fourth chapter, he brings to mind a couple specific instances later on in the 16th chapter. Go back to verse 10 and take a look at this. Not only had they treated Paul badly, but now you come to verse 10. And if Timothy comes... See that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now, what is the background of this man, Timothy? Timothy has joined the Apostle Paul in one of his missionary journeys, so he has been in the process of learning the truths of the Word of God. And he has been learning how to apply them and to appropriate them. He is being groomed to become the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And when we read the book to the Ephesians and when we read the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, we recognize that the areas of responsibility he has have to be cleared up by Paul. He is given instruction on what he's supposed to do as a good pastor, but he's still in the process of learning. Well, here's what the deal is. Timothy apparently has had sufficient interaction with the Corinthians to be afraid of them. <laughs> and it's one of those things, you just have to look at this and say, okay, now I have to read between the lines here. Paul is going to be very diplomatic in the way he says this, but it's very clear. If Timothy comes to you, and I'm not really positive he's going to do it, but if he comes to you, See to it that he's not afraid of you. Try to treat him in such a way that, that he is recognized for the purpose for which he has been set aside. And he's afraid that they're going to disrespect him. And part of the reason was his age. He was very young. In fact, even when he becomes the pastor in, in Ephesus, he is still dealing with the issue of being a very young man. And so... Paul has to tell him, let no man despise thy youth. And he says, instead, you, you be an example. You, you set the example, even as a young man. Well, now here he is, and, he, and he's being essentially encouraged by Paul to come to these Corinthians. <laughs> and he says, they scare me. <laughs> so, when he comes, see to it that he may be with you without fear. Try to understand the reason for which he's coming. So receive him well. But it doesn't stop there. Not only were they nasty to Paul, they had scared the daylights out of Timothy, but there's a guy by the name of Apollos who has been so disenchanted by the Corinthians that Paul goes on in the next verse to say this. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren. All right? I really would like him to come. I'd like him to be there. He would be beneficial to you. He will teach you things that you need to know. I'd really like him to come. <laughs> 
but he is quite unwilling. <laughs> now, now, just imagine this. Here he's being sent to this church by the Apostle Paul, and he says, no way. <laughs> I'm not going to those people. He's saying, that, do you realize what happened to me last time I was there? I, I'm, maybe we could just summarize this. He's really tired of the way that they have been living their Christian lives, disregarding the principles that God's word has already made clear. And he says, I'm not going. Now, maybe Timothy will come. Paul says, I'm coming. Now, you can either have me come harshly or I can come gently. It's going to be up to you. Timothy may come to you. But Apollos is not coming. <laughs> he, he has made up his mind. I strongly urge him to come to you with the brethren, but he is quite unwilling to come at this time. Now Paul is figuring, I'm going to do some work on this guy, and uh, hopefully he will come. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. <laughs> What's he doing? He's sitting at home. He's not going to the Corinthians. So Paul says, listen, when it's convenient, uh, he'll, he'll come and he'll be with you, even though I really want him to come right now. Well, here was the problem that these Corinthians were facing. The Lord had given Paul. He had been in the process of preparing Timothy. He had used a man who had been well instructed by the name of Apollos to bless them. And instead... They resisted. Paul says, be on your guard. If you resist these servants that God is sending to you, you are going to lose in the battle. You will be defeated spiritually. So now he's got their attention. The Corinthians are listening. So he goes on. And he reiterates, essentially, in their mind's eye, the things that he has spoken to them about earlier. What is another area in which they could let down their guard? Well, very easily described. They could let down their guard by division among themselves. You remember in the first two chapters, Paul had given them this uh, confrontation, essentially. He said, some of you say, I am of Paul. Now, a man that's operating in the flesh would look at that and say, oh, I'm, I'm really glad. I'm, I'm really proud that you are looking at me as your, your big kahuna. But some of you say, I am of Peter. And others of you say, I am of Cephas. And then those of you who are particularly self-righteous say, well, I am of Christ. Paul spends less time addressing the specific individuals who are identified and he addresses the main issue. Do you understand what that's doing to the body? You are causing division in the body. You are causing factionalism. And when you do that, you open yourselves up to the attacks of Satan who can wedge his way in these divisions and create more difficulties and more problems and essentially negate your testimony for Christ and eliminate your impact for the gospel. Now, which is more important? What is it that really counts? What are the things that really matter? What Paul is calling them to is this. You really need to focus on the unity of the body. 
It doesn't mean that everybody is going to see things the same way. Those differences are fine. The way you handle those differences are really the issues. When I look at our congregation, I look at an incredible mix of individuals. We have a variety of different ages. We have people from very different ethnic backgrounds. We have people who are, in some cases, well-to-do. We have some who struggle day by day to make ends meet. Some of you have perhaps advanced degrees. Others of you may not have even finished high school. Some of you are very outgoing. Others are very quiet and withdrawn. So what? We're one in Christ. We have a common Savior. And we're going to spend eternity together if we know the Savior personally in heaven with perfect unity. The Lord looks at a body of believers and He says, I want you to be unified. Differences of opinion, fine. But come to the final conclusion. We are here to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Therefore, we glorify God. Something that I'm very thankful for in the body of Christ at Grace is there is an overriding unity that we've been able to enjoy. And so if some of you are thinking I'm picking on some group of people that are divisive, I'm not. I love the unity. Disagreements? Yeah. But unity. The Lord says, guard that. Be on your guard. Watch. And then he calls to our minds the remainder of those issues that he had addressed. Be on your guard against the rejection of the directives that God has given you. Watch out. Not only did he address the issues of the disunity that they had, which was capable of destroying their testimony, it was capable of destroying their fellowship, but now there are directives that the Lord has given throughout this book that really need to be taken seriously. Let me reiterate them. Don't allow immorality in the church to go unchecked. That means... When it's necessary, exercise church discipline. Don't allow people to live immoral lifestyles. In the specific case with this situation, it was an issue related to a man being intimately involved with his stepmother. And Paul was appalled at the fact that the church had not taken action. Instead, they were reveling in it, thinking that, oh, look how gracious and open and free we are. We, we, don't, we don't really condemn anyone. Well, there are times to condemn people. Not because we condemn them, but because the Lord has. And it's not the people that you condemn, it's their behavior. Because the people are able to be rescued. And it appears when he writes the second letter to the Corinthians that this man is rescued. He comes to repentance and he's restored. In our day, if we are aware of immoral behavior, we are going to address it. Grace Baptist Church is going to address it. 
And now let me throw out another warning. We talked about this briefly in our Sunday school class this morning, but it's something that's on my mind because I know that these statistics would indicate that the number of men who are involved in pornography is astounding within the church. Which leads me to believe that some of you men sitting here today are struggling with the issue of pornography. That is unacceptable. That is immoral behavior. That is not going to be ignored. And I will warn you, for your spiritual well-being, do whatever you have to do to free yourself from the bondage of that sin. If you need help, we will do what we can to help you. If you need professional counseling, we will do what is necessary to help you get that. Do you all hear me? We're not going to let this go. And so, my friends, I I want to give you this warning. Be on your guard. Don't allow that sin to capture you, to ruin your marriage, to corrupt your children, and to essentially make you absolutely ineffective for the cause of Jesus Christ. We can't live that way. Can't live that way. And I'm sure that there are many other things that we could talk about, but perhaps that is the one that right now seems to be of the greatest impact upon the church today. Pornography. He went beyond that issue, and he addressed the issue of lawsuits, where they were more concerned about their financial well-being than they were about the unity that they had in the Spirit. Their personal conduct morally... There were some who within their marriages were not conducting their marriages the way they should be. There were some who were were pursuing um, relationships that were inappropriate, even though they may not involve physical involvement, they perhaps involve emotional infidelity. And he warns them about this. And he's talking to the husbands and wives. You need to be to each other what God has designed you to be as a husband and a wife. Don't ignore that. The impact that you have as far as your testimony is concerned and the way that you treat one another is the way people who do not know the Savior view your relationship with Christ. All you have to do is read Ephesians chapter 5 and it becomes very clear. He talked to them about their willingness to relinquish their personal rights. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have a great deal of freedom in areas that are not specifically identified as sin. They're what we would call gray areas. And there are people today who would say this, there are no such things as gray areas. Yes, there are. You're wrong. Sit down, be quiet, and take it. I say that with all gentleness and civility and whatever. Everybody would like to see everything in black and white. I'm one of them. I would love to see everything in black and white, but it's not. There are some areas in which we have a liberty 
as followers of Christ, to do some things that perhaps other believers don't do. Here's what you do. You evaluate your behavior in the light of what God's Word has to say. Don't do anything that is a violation of Scripture. And where you find freedom by virtue of the strength of your own conscience, be aware that others may not have that same sense of freedom and treat them in such a way that you do not lead them into sin. In other words, if eating meat causes my brother to stumble, I will not eat meat anymore. Now, that obviously was a very specific environment in which meat was being offered to idols, but the whole concept of that is very clearly identified for us today. There are things that individuals within this congregation feel free to do, that others would say, no, that's not right. I, 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 sh- I shouldn't do that. Then those of you who have your freedom, don't try to lead those who feel that it's wrong into the same sense of freedom you have without the maturity that you have. Otherwise, it becomes sin. Does that make sense? We talked about that at length. Okay. Proper conduct in worship. There is a right way to worship. And I think Larry addressed a good portion of it this morning when he talked about getting our hearts prepared and being in a right frame of mind so that when we worship, our focus is upon the Lord, not upon a million other things, not upon the issues that distract us, but keeping our attention focused upon the Lord and recognizing that we are here to worship Him, whether it's in our singing, whether it's in our fellowship, whether it's in the sacrifice of our bodies as living sacrifices, whether it's in our giving, whether it's in doing good works. These are all sacrifices that the Lord says we can make, and that's the right way to worship. Not getting drunk at the Lord's table, Not some of you eating till you are ready to explode while others are hungry. You remember those were the specifics that he used when they were gathering around the Lord's table. Some were getting drunk. Others were were eating like there was no tomorrow while others with them were going hungry. That was the wrong way. Worship the right way. Proper use of your spiritual gifts. This is one of the things that we would encourage every follower of Christ to do. Use your spiritual gifts the way the Lord intended for you to use them. If you know Christ as your Savior, you have spiritual gifts. You need to be identified with a local body of believers and you need to use those spiritual gifts for the glory of Christ. Otherwise, the body suffers. Use those gifts for the edification of the body, the building up of the body, And then he goes on to tell us about the resurrection. And he says, now with all of these things that I've been telling you, the thing that makes it all worthwhile is the resurrection. Our Savior's alive. Do you know what that means? You will be too. You're going to be resurrected. You are going to be changed you are going to enjoy the presence of the Savior and the fellowship of the believers for all eternity. What causes us to be willing to say no to this present world and yes to lives of righteousness? It is the realization that tomorrow it's going to be well worth it. Thank you. 
We, we need to, to grasp this. There are things we would do differently if there was no resurrection. But there is. What would we do if there wasn't? We'd eat. We'd drink. And the way the Americans put it, we'd be merry. For tomorrow we die. No. Tomorrow we're with the Lord. That's what makes it worthwhile. And then he, he finally came to, the, to this issue in this 16th chapter of munificence. Munificence. Now, how many of you know what the word munificence means? Okay, about 20 of you. <laughs> Generosity. The way we handle the material wealth that the Lord has put at our disposal, the stewardship over which he has given us, how do we handle that? And he says, I want you to be generous. I want you to realize that I've given to you so that you can be a blessing to others. I have blessed you. Now you bless others as well. Uh, uh, the tendency is to kind of build our empires. We make more money. We live a better lifestyle. The Lord says, wait a minute. Is that the best way to handle what I've given you? No. We're going to talk about this in a future issue. Um, I knew we weren't going to finish today. You all, you all get that? Okay, you knew, you knew, I, I even told Rick, I said, Rick, we're, we're going to get through uh, Roman numerals 1 and 2. Which we won't. And, and we're never in a hurry. At least I'm not. But it is 12 o'clock and I don't want to be on the carousel that turns me to the back. But these things that I'm sharing with you today, these are essentially the five final admonitions. We're still in the first. Four more to go. On what the Lord communicated through Paul should characterize the lives of those who by faith have been regenerated through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, recognizing that His death was substitutionary for the punishment that we deserve. He was buried and then He rose again so that those who believe that Christ rose again from the dead shall be saved. And those are the ones to whom I'm speaking today. And that might exclude some of you. I would invite you today, recognize that you're a sinner who needs a Savior and recognize that Jesus Christ is the only one who can provide that salvation. And reach out in faith. And trust Him. Let's stand. Father, the things that make us feel safe in this country never seem to be in question while we're dwelling in safety. And then it takes something like happened in Boston, Lord, to shake our minds and to cause us to recognize that we are in a sinful world. 
And there are dangers all around us. And Father, it's just as easy for us to take for granted what we have in Christ without recognizing that because of our relationship with the Savior, we find ourselves in a spiritual warfare that has been won through Christ, but the enemy is still at large and he will do everything he can to tear us down and to cause us not to be the people you want us to be. Father, I pray that you would help us to be on our guards. Help us to be alert. Help us to watch and to stand in the victory that we have in Christ. And for those who need the Savior, we pray that your Holy Spirit would cause them to see, perhaps for the first time, that all will not be well when they pass into eternity unless they pass having become followers of Jesus Christ. I pray that perhaps even today, through faith, some would accept him. Thank you, Father, for what you've done for us and what you will continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen.